Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am glad that we are going to spend an hour today uh, uh, over 10 words, 10 words we're going to talk about today. And here they are in order. There are these 10 words. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's going to be our topic today with Jeff Verdorn, my friend, my mentor, one of my favorite Bible teachers is going to join me for the hour. Jeff, welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. There is so much attached to that line, and it is a command, I would assume, and uh, what a gift and it is to, to live that life worthy of the calling that we have received. You know, every once in a while, do you ever come across a passage, and you know you've been there before, you know you've read it, you know you've even thought about it, but it just pops out at you in a new and fresh way, in a way that you hadn't noticed before? Yes. And that's that's what happened to me this week with this passage in Ephesians 4. So I was in it, I've been in Ephesians, I started Ephesians 4, and this passage just popped out, and it's like, I know what we're going to talk about on Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. so, and uh, let me just read the whole thing, because you read the kind of the second half of it, and Ephesians 4.1 starts with this, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, first, I want to point out something. Paul says he is a prisoner for the Lord. Now, this is uh, Ephesians is one of the prison epistles, what's called the prison epistles, where he wrote it and he was in prison. So uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and I think Philemon actually wrote in prison. And, and remember, Paul while he's in prison, also wrote things such as, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Because if you were imprisoned for Christ, what would be your reaction? Rejoicing? Mm, right. I, I don't I don't know, Bill, that that would be my, personally, that would be my first reaction if I was imprisoned for the Lord. Mm-hmm. There might be a little pity party going on, maybe. I'd probably feel a little you know, a little disgruntled, Maybe. a little uh, yeah. un- like this is unfair. Like mm. no one should be in prison for their faith, especially for Christ. And yet Paul says, I rejoice always in the Lord. Mm-hmm. But the second part of this is where I want to spend some time today. And that is this life worthy of your calling. So what is our calling from God? I know that we spend as Christians a lot of time thinking about this. What is God's call on my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God, what are his plans for my life? Now, notice that that Paul says that we have received it. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So he says, we've actually already received this calling. And I wonder if we could search the scriptures and find some places where God has given us this calling on our life. Well, sure enough, let me start in 1 Peter uh, 4, verse 2. 
As a result, then, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives, this is believers, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 2 Peter 3.11 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, 2 Peter 3 is all about the the destruction of the current heaven and the current earth, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and all things are going to be made new. And since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Second Peter 3.11. Well, actually, if you look at Scripture, this calling on our life, this call to live holy and godly lives actually shows up quite often. We've received this calling from the Lord. So in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, he says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Here he's a prisoner again. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.8. So there's God's calling for our lives. Mm -hmm. To live holy. To be holy. To live a life not in impurity, not our earthly lives for our old human desires, but rather for the will of God. Live holy and godly lives. And I know some of you are now listening to all this and going, well, wait a minute here. I can't live holy. That, that just seems impossible to me. It's kind of like, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, and you go, well, wait a minute here. I can't live perfect. I can't live holy. I, I can't do that. How do you do that? You're right. It is impossible, except, except for this little fact. God has already made you holy. This is one of these profound aspects of God's salvation that I don't think we understand and teach enough in the church, that God, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, makes you holy. He gives you his righteousness. It's something that theologians call imputed righteousness. God takes his righteousness and he gives it to you, and he makes you righteous. So Romans 4, 5 says, However, to the one who does not work but trusts in God, believes in God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. This is actually the concept of justification. And I love this simple definition of justification, just as if you've never sinned. If, if you look at a book and you see the, the margins of the book are justified, right? They're left justified or right justified. It means that they've been brought in alignment with, so that all the lines are in the same alignment. They're justified to the left side of the page mm -hmm. or right or whatever. Well, that's the same thing with our righteousness. God has aligned us with Christ in his righteousness so that we now are righteous. 
And I use this simple couple words to help uh, folks understand this. Before you're saved, God calls you a sinner. That is who you are. You are in Adam. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you are a sinner. Do you know that once you're saved, once you're born again, once you're made new, God doesn't call you a sinner anymore. He calls you a saint. This is your new identity. We're going to talk about this a little bit today, about how God moves us from being in one state to being in another state. But very simply, he's moved you from being a sinner to being a saint. Now, do you know what this Greek word is? This is really cool. This Greek word is the Greek word hagios, and that word means holy. You are now holy. That means that you've been you've been consecrated. You've been you've been set apart. You've been separated from the world in order to live a new and different way. This this is your new identity. God moves you from being a sinner to being a saint. He gives you his righteousness. He makes you holy. He declares you a saint, and that's your new identity. So in 2 Corinthians 5:17, God says that if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. You are now what Paul says in Ephesians 2, God's handiwork created new, created new in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the new you. You've moved from death to life. You are blind. Now you see. You are a sinner. Now you are a saint. That's the old. Now you are the new. I mean, God's salvation to me is just it's just the most amazing thing when we fully understand that we have been have have literally moved from death to life. And God, by the way, God's offer for this salvation is a very simple proposition. If you believe in him, God will save you. He will make you holy. It's that simple. Now, if if God has made you holy, now Here's the calling. God wants you to live out that holiness. He's made you holy. Now he wants you to live out this new identity. And that's what I want to talk about today. I feel like I'm standing in a shower with like 17 shower heads from all angles hitting me. It's really, everything you said is just really, really nice, Jeff. It's uh, powerful. So good. I've also heard the expression, Instead of just as if you never sinned, I've also heard just as if you always obeyed. It, that would be the what I think is called the contrapositive. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. So, yes, he sees you. That's how he now sees you. You know, there, there's this line and it says he no longer counts your sin against you. He separates your sin as far as the east is from the rest. And, and he remembers them no more and he no longer counts your sin against you. I mean, that is what forgiveness is all about. Mm-hmm. God well, now sees you as if you've never sinned, yeah. ever, and well, that's his salvation. We'll take a little break, and that'll give me time to look up the word contrapositive. And then when we come back, <laughs> we'll continue with Jeff Redorn. We're talking today about live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We'll be right back.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, Do not be afraid. And the voice of truth. That woke up music is for Jeff Redorn, and we're talking today about live a life worthy of the calling. You have received, if you missed any of this, you do have to go to the beginning of the podcast and make sure you hear uh, the opening uh, segment because it was fantastic. And I'm still uh, anxious to hear more, but uh, what you shared in the first 15 minutes, Jeff, was very, uh, very powerful. So thank you. Mm. Well, you know, God's call on our life is really very powerful, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're we're talking about that God has made us holy, and so now he calls us to live out that holiness, to live as saints, to ought to, the, those, Second Peter 3, to, ought to live holy and godly lives, that sacred, consecrated, set apart from the world life. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, because later in Ephesians, I think Paul is describing this very aspect of, okay, how do we then do this? Because this is, this is, where the rubber meets the road kind of deal, right? All right, I've been made holy. How do I live it out? Well, in Ephesians 4, later in Ephesians 4, verse 22, it says this. You were taught with regard to the former way of life, that's the old self, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God into righteousness and holiness. Well, do you see that new creation aspect there? We're created new in true righteousness and holiness. That's you. That's us. We are made new in righteousness and holiness. Whoa. So there's this concept of put off the old self and put on the new self. Well, wait a minute, what does that really mean? What does that look like? Well, let's, let's try to digest this a little bit here. In, in Colossians, God actually tells us that we have taken off our old self and we have put on the new self, Colossians 3, 9, and 10. That's past tense. It's already done. God has already taken off the old self for you, and he's already made you new, that new creation. So we have put on the new self, past tense. That is salvation. That is this once and done thing that God does the moment you believe and are saved. But here in Ephesians 4, it's not past tense. It's actually in the present tense that we're putting off our old self and putting on our new self. In other words, it's this continuing putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. And that's actually what theologians generally call progressive sanctification this process of becoming more and more like Christ as we grow in our faith and knowledge of him, as we move on into maturity in him, as we study God's word, as we learn his ways, as we submit to him more and more and more, hopefully we will continue to put off that old self and put on that new self created in true righteousness and holiness. Let me go back to 1 Peter for a second. 
Listen to this. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for these evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's the passage we read earlier, but I'm going to keep reading. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living as they heap abuse on you. But you will have to give an account to him who is judge, the living and the dead. We have been saved out of this world. God doesn't want us to live like the world any longer. He doesn't want us to live like the world lives anymore. He wants us to live differently. That's why Paul in, 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 in Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of, of your mind. Now, our minds have been programmed uh, literally every day. We listen to TV shows and advertisements and books and movies, and the world has been programming us our entire lives. And generally speaking, the world's ways are 180 degrees opposite of God's ways. Mm -hmm. And so when, God, when Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, I think of it like this. We need to reprogram our brains. We need to reprogram how we think. The world has been busy programming us, and we need to reprogram how we think and believe uh, by the renewing of our minds. And the only way I know how to do that is to start thinking biblically instead of worldly. We need to be trained how God sees things instead of how the world sees things. And that comes from a careful study and exegesis of God's word, his ways, his truths, his precepts, his promises, his nature and character. Because I can tell you, the world has a, a way that's a hundred and 80 degrees opposite. It's the world and the flesh and the devil, and that's their ways, and then there's God's ways. And I can tell you this, the average Christian, by spending 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, is not going to adequately reprogram their minds. You need to spend some time, as Acts 17 says, as God commends the Bereans, and the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. It is our daily bread. Your words came and I did eat them. How does a man set his way right by observing the words of God? Not to the left, not to the right. Um, you're, you know, his word is a lamp to our feet and, our, and a light to our path. So that is what I think we need to do. We need to understand God's ways instead of the world's ways. And you know how we're going to start to do that for this concept of living out this holy life? We're going to start with a passage of Galatians 2.20. Now, I shouldn't say start. We've already covered a number of passages already. But just as John 3.16 is probably the most important passage for salvation, for God so loved the world he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life, so too Galatians 2.20 
is at the heart of this idea of putting off the old and putting on the new. All right, let me read it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that? I have been crucified with Christ. That's the old self. That's the old sinner, worldly self. God has crucified the old self, and he's raised you again as a holy saint before him. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Do you know that you are literally united with Christ, and where is Christ? It says that he, he, he died. He was buried. He rose again. Forty days later, he ascended up to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul says in Ephesians that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's because we're united with him spiritually. We are literally seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And God says, okay, this is the power I've given you, the resurrected power of Jesus Christ dwelling within you. Now go live out your calling this holy life. Because your old self has been crucified and your new self has been raised in newness of life. There's the old and the new. Yeah. Jeff, I love what Paul says when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And then the next line really kills me. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know that the biggest problem to living out this holiness Mm -hmm. is that I yeah, right. right. It's itself, isn't it? Yeah, it always gets done I mean, with that. Mm-hmm. Our self gets in the way. I mean, I think that's why Jesus in the garden, when he was presented with this choice to submit to God and do God's will and to live that life that he came to live, that he accomplished fully or some other way. And it's just such a powerful and simple line that he says, not my will, but your will be done. I, th- I think that w- what you just described, this I no longer live, if we truly understand that we've been crucified with Christ and we've died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? And we've been raised in newness of life with Christ, and that is our new life. And we say, like John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease, not my will but your will be done. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but yeah. Christ lives in me. We have lots more coming up with Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And uh, we'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. 
What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, you've been missing a lot of good show today. So make sure you go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. We love that you listen to the podcast because you can do it whenever you feel like it. And uh, you can always do that at MyFaithRadio.com. My guest is Jeff Redorn, and we're talking today uh, about live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And Jeff, I want to get back. To, I want to get back to the old and the new. But before we go there, I just want to say I was uh, thinking of verse um, in four, verse one, that uh, Paul talks about being a prisoner of the Lord. And Dr. Clinton Arnold, who has uh, been a guest on my show, he said. There is irony in the fact that the political structure known for peace, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, imprisoned a man for proclaiming the gospel of peace. Hmm. Paul saw his true Lord as Jesus and not the Roman emperor. Hmm. You know, it's, uh, you mean there's hypocrisy in <laughs> authority in, I've heard, in this world? I've heard there is, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that is uh, that's kind of the height of hypocrisy, right? Yeah. And yet, Paul, while he was a prisoner, was probably the most free man that uh, anybody knew. Yeah. So you know, it's for for freedom's sake that Christ had set him free. Yeah. Mm. So let's uh, go to Romans chapter six. I know there's a really a powerful description of the old and the new. Yeah, it's it's one of these sections that I think sums it up in, a, in an easy-to-remember kind of way on, okay, well, what does this really mean? So let's, let's read it. I'm going to start in verse uh, verse 6 of Romans chapter 6. Now watch the old and the new come to play in this whole crucifixion concept come in. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So first, we need to know this. We need to know this truth and understand it. Verse 11. So you too must Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count. I like the, the, the King James Version. I think it says reckon. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not present the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present or offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and present the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. There is your calling, Bill. Present yourself to God as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are no longer under law, but under grace. Romans 6, know this. Know that you've been crucified with Christ Count yourself dead to sin, reckon it as true, and offer yourself to God. Offer this new self created in righteousness to God. Back to Ephesians 4. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self that is being corrupted by its desires and be made new in the attitude of your mind and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I think we've received a pretty a pretty big calling, don't you? Mm, biggest one I could ever imagine. Oh, I know many people teach about, oh, this is how you find God's will for your life. This is how you seek his calling for you life, your life. But I, I, I think God has already told us. I think he said, live set apart from the world. Live holy. Live a consecrated, set apart life. Live as a saint. Whatever you do, whatever you do for your vocation, Wherever, whatever city you happen to live in, if you happen to be a plumber or a lawyer or, or a doctor or a tradesman, if you are in full-time ministry or not, by the way, we're all in full-time ministry. We just don't, some of us are paid and some of us aren't paid by churches or ministries or whatever, but we are all called the full-time. God has a calling on your life. No matter what you do in this life, vocationally, or where you live, happen to reside, God has a calling for your life. Yeah, that's a very strong words. Very encouraging. It's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. And now here, I, I think everybody might be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, how do, how do I do do this. And one of the things that I think we tend to do is, okay, I need to now start doing this. But you know, every single Christian that's out there is dealing with these same truths, dealing with the same struggles and temptations, the same battle that you are, that you are, that I am, that all of us are. And so the second aspect to this that I think is so important is this idea of the body of Christ coming together to live out this calling. Back to Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You get the idea that there's one? There is one, one body. Now, I did a quick scan, Bill, and I, I scanned the Internet, and I determined that there's about 2.5 billion Christians in the world, and there are over 30,000 different denominations that's actually up from about 1,500 denominations in 1,900. Now, I recognize that not every one of these denominations is, you know, off, is bad. It was the result of something of people being led astray or whatever, or false teaching. Sometimes people break away from a group or an organization or denomination because the denomination has lost their way. They've started teaching stuff not consistent with the word of God and some people get together and say, well, wait a minute, we want to hold fast and true to the word of God. So we're going to break away from you. We know that it's true. Like Acts 20 says, when Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will slip in amongst you and teach 
things that not ought to be taught. And we are to guard our doctrine closely. That's what Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy. And we're to stand firm in the truth. So not all these denominations are bad, but with 30,000, that's more than one, don't you think? <laughs> that is. <laughs> There's, that's, that's a lot. And it's too bad that the Christian church isn't more united, both in truth and in reality. But this is reality. There's lots of people that have their own ideas about God and about his word, and there's lots of different opinions. So when we stand firm, we need to stand firm with other like-minded Christians that share our core understanding of Scripture, our core doctrines. That's why Christian organizations have these statement of faith. They're very important. If you don't know the statement of faith of your church or the ministry that you work with or whatever, pull it out, read it, and you determine. You need to understand that you need to agree with that and follow it. But I wanted to go here with this conversation, and that's this. Ecclesiastes 4 says that though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you haven't noticed, living this Christian life out in this world is hard. It's, it's ugly. Uh, Peter reminds us that we need to be self-controlled and alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're going this alone... Uh, fighting this battle on your own, um, one may be overpowered, as Ecclesiastes says. But a cord of three strands, oh, a cord of three is not easily broken. Do we want to face this battle alone, or do we want to face it in a group of other like-minded Christians? Oh, should I use the phrase soldiers? Hmm. Because that is exactly the battle that God describes. Ephesians, back to Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that when you take your stand against the devil's schemes, you will be able to stand. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice it's not, it's not if, it's when you may be able to stand, and after you've done everything, to stand in truth. Now, there is an interesting thing about this imagery that Paul uses about this Roman soldier. He actually uses it several times throughout the New Testament. In, in, in Timothy, uh, here in, in Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Philippians 2, he uses this imagery. And so we have this armor, right? And as we go out into the world, we tend to get beat up. Our armor tends to get damaged. Our helmet gets tilted. Our sword gets a little dull. And we need to come back together as, as a body, as a believer, to get cleaned up, polished up, get that sword sharpened. Remember that sword is the word of God, by the way, that double-edged sword. And I don't know if you've ever held a double-edged broadsword. Could you could do you think you could protect yourself or battle anything with a large double-edged broadsword? I'm holding one right now. I, I challenge anyone to come into the studio. <laughs> oh yeah, you have that sitting over in the corner against the wall that's over there. 
Look, I have I actually bring a broadsword to class every once in a while and have people grab it and hold on to it. And I can tell you, there's very few people would be able to beat their way out of a paper bag with this <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. It's just you have to be trained in its use. Just like a soldier needs to come back and get trained in how to use his weapons, so too we need to come together to get trained up and cleaned up. Our armor needs to be fixed and straightened, and, and, uh, and, and we need to go out there together. There's also this idea in being a Roman soldier is it's this formation called a testudo. In Roman in, in soldiers, they would have known this. And so one soldier can be easily overcome. But you get a line of soldiers, and they lock arm and arm, shield against shield, lined up right next to each other, and their swords protruding out. All of a sudden, you become this impenetrable wall that can defend itself. There's even something called the tortoise formation, where not only do you put your shields in front of you, but you put your shields on the side of you and behind you and even above you, and a, a bunch of Roman soldiers could create this tortoise formation and advance and hardly experience any damage whatsoever. Christians, that's us. We need to come together and battle together with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and together standing shoulder shoulder to shoulder together in this battle. And that's how we f should fight mm -hmm. with each other together. And then some of the pushback would be, we live in a world that prizes autonomy. I'm sorry. I just had to cough for a second. I missed that. Bill. I'm sorry. That's okay. That the, we also live in a world that prizes autonomy. Oh, it does kind of the lone, Ranger, mm -hmm. the self-reliant, uh, you know, self-made man. Yeah. Yes, the world tends to value that kind of um, attitude, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it's really a foreign attitude in Scripture. I agree. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're going to take a short break and come back as we talk about live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We'll be right back. Are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. How about that, Jeff? Two walk-up musics in one hour. Oh, I love that song. I know you do. That's your walk-up music. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're talking about live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you missed any of this hour, I know I'm going to listen to it again. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. It's on the Afternoons with Bill page. We'd love for you to uh, hear the whole thing if you've missed any. So if you're just climbing in your car, hope you had a good day at work. And I hope uh, you've got a nice evening planned. And we've got a little bit of time left as we're talking about this very powerful, important uh, subject on living a life worthy of the call that you have received. Yeah, so, I mean, just the last couple of points. Um, Individually, we, we have to take that Galatians 2.20 attitude, that, that Romans 6 attitude, that no, we have been crucified with him. Uh, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. But in this, this last part, we've really been talking about not trying to do this Lone Ranger style, 
like we were just talking about before the break, but doing it with the help of others. That That is God's design. As Christians, we need other Christians. We need to do life with other believers, other like-minded believers. We need to stand together. Sometimes life gets really hard, and we need to tortoise up around other believers where all of our shields are pointing out because the world just seems to be attacking us. And so we come together and tortoise up in that formation. Sometimes we need to be carried off the battlefield. That's so it says some of the one another's in scripture are to carry each other's burdens, right? To love one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, build each other up. That's what we need the body of Christ for. And sometimes we need to come back to that home base, that church and get get trained, get sharpened up, um, get together. I have, I have a lot of anchor points in my Christian walk. And what do I mean by those anchor points? It's, it's groups of people <clears throat> that I have surrounded myself with to help me do this thing called this Christian walk. So I have a small church on Sundays that, that I lead. I have a men's Bible study on Monday mornings. I have, a, I have a group I call the Iron Man group. As iron sharpens iron, so one man face sharpens another. And we meet on Tuesday mornings. I have a couple's Bible study. I have my own church that I go to on Sunday with my pastor. I have, I have faith radio. Your listeners know this. I mean, faith radio, you guys, is, is this great resource for training up in the ways of the Lord. I mean, I was Dr. Jeremiah, uh, Colin Smith, Chuck Swindoll, Charles Stanley. I mean, there's so many great teachers that are on air throughout the day on Faith Radio, and I listen to many of them in, while I'm riding around in my car. These are these are my anchor points during the week that I can come back and be anchored in God's Word. Because if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of distractions in this world. <laughs> And you can get distracted very easily. And so I need those people in my lives, those times in my lives, to bring me back, to anchor me back into God's word, to be trained up as a soldier for Christ. You know, really, well, you're going to say something? No, I, I'm distracted by the word distracted. So anyway, <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, I just... I think it's fascinating that this idea of group, of coming together, the word for this group in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word for church is the word ecclesia. And this word in the Greek literally means the called out ones. The called out ones. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about our calling. Our individual calling, this calling that we have received, to live a life worthy of this calling that we received. And, but God has put us into this thing called the ecclesia, this church. This is the group of God's called out ones. Look how that fits. So, oh, it's just so cool. We are a group of called out ones that have a calling to live holy for, for God, to be, live set apart differently from the world, not like the world does. Have you noticed the world lives in, oh my goodness, how do I even describe it? Debauchery. Mm -hmm. I saw a news program about this, this disgusting sexual show in a grade school, and it's just like, what, what are we thinking? What is this world coming to? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. 
And we, as God's people, should be living differently from the world. People should be able to come up to us and say, you know what, Bill, what's your secret? Mm. You seem to have this life of peace and of joy, and nothing seems to phase you. You seem to be anchored in something. What is that? And you know what? You're going to be able to tell them. You know, I build my rock on Jesus Christ. That's my rock. I trust in him. I try to build my life on his word. I try to grow in the faith and knowledge of him. He is my strength. He is my shield. He is my help. And I just try to live by faith, trusting in him every day. And I hope that we, yeah, I'm going to have to do a better job of living that out. So people would ask me that question. (laughs) I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm, I'm walking around with maybe, uh, there's the distraction or some anxiety or something that would not gravitate people to me saying, what, what is it about you? That's so calm. You know, there's, I, living the Christian life I once read in a book isn't hard. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Only Christ can do it. And so the last thing I want people to hear from this talk, this hour, this calling of the life is like, oh, I need to, in some kind of self-effort kind of way, like we talked about earlier, that I part, right? Mm-hmm. I need to live more holy. Guess what? You can't. But he can in you and through you. It's his holiness. It came from him. He's the one who made you holy. And if we are simply willing to die to self, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, then he will be able to live his life in us and through us. Do you remember the vine and the branches? I do. Love it. It's, it is. It's such a simple picture that you as the branch are simply to abide in the vine. Mm-hmm. That's your one job. <laughs> yeah. Tr- trust in him. Yeah. Abide in him and he will bear the fruit in your life. All right, Jeff, I got a couple of quick questions we're going to try to deal with in the last three or four minutes. Uh, what happens when you really don't have the people? I have prayed, but I don't have the people. So the community that you kind of talked about and your anchor points uh, probably hit hard for some people because they're thinking, ooh, I don't have that. Yeah, I, the only thing I can say is find them. Okay. Um, there are plenty of places to get connected. There are many good churches in town. Uh, find a Bible-believing church, one that hasn't gone woke or social justice or just as worried about entertaining the people in the pews or whatever. Find one that just teaches the Bible. Mm-hmm. And when you find that church, get involved. There'll be studies. There'll be small small groups. Every church I know is dedicated to a small group kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. They know that bigger churches are can be impersonal, so we they want to they want you to get involved in a group, uh, and they'll help you do that. Almost every church I know will help you find a group of folks to get together and start doing life mm-hmm. with. And you know what? You might find a group that you don't particularly care for. We're supposed to love everybody, but we don't know, always end up liking every believer, right? But find a group of folks that are like minded. And, and and I would just argue because we can do this in my own group where sometimes we start talking about the daily news 
too long. Right. And we need to, all right, guys, we need to get back to the word. Here we go. We're in Romans 7. Here we go. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And so find somebody, uh, find a group. You, you'll find it. Pray. God, if you pray to God, Lord, I need some people in my life. He'll bring some people into your life. I know he will. All right, Jeff, here's a question you have one minute to answer. Tomorrow I'm in a Bible study, and one of the questions is, how do you explain to somebody if they're born again? How do you explain to someone if they are born again? Yes. Well, I can explain that I am, and I can explain what it is, that this being born again is this new self, right? The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said you must be born of water, natural birth, and of spirit, a spiritual birth. When you're saved, God makes you born again, born from above, born from God. So I can theologically describe it, and I can explain how I know I've been born again of God. Now, if it's if I wanted to explain someone else, I can't see anybody else's heart perfectly, yeah. so I don't know, except by, you know, you'll know them by their love, by their fruit, and so on. I think, you know, there's many people, the Christians that I know, that it's like, oh, I, they're saved. I know they are. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we can't see someone else's heart. Yeah, great hour, Jeff. Thank you so much for this teaching. It's been great. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, you bet. Jeff Dorn has been my guest. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you missed any of this, please go to the podcast, check it out. And then thank you for listening and or catching as much of the show today as you could. And if you have time, do go to the podcast. Have a great night. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.